Welcome, friends, to episode four of Quest Rewind. This is the retrospective gaming podcast where we travel back to the 90s, the 2000s, and talk about all of those magnificent games and consoles that we experienced growing up. In the past couple of weeks, we've uh, dedicated a lot of time to the Nintendo 64, from its origins to the launch lineup, and even before the console came out, what was all of that about? But in this episode, people, it is time to talk about the legacy, traveling to 2021 and beyond. What are we talking about? What is that lasting piece that even to this day, we have ourselves the Nintendo Switch online service with N64 games? So my name is Juan. I'm Ryan from Boston. And I'm Keith from London, Ontario, Canada. And I'm from Puerto Rico. I kind of forgot that part. But this is the three-man show where, guys, we've uh, we've dabbled into different bits and pieces of the N64. But now that we travel to the very end, just being aware of what the console is now. And who would have thought, right? Like, we never even planned to coincide this, this a podcast with the actual reveal of the Switch service. So I'm actually just going to open it up with... Why Why do you think people have clamored for so long in the Nintendo Switch to finally have those N64 games? Is there a specific reason that comes now, to mind? Now, I can't confirm or deny this, but I feel like the... Because there has been this zeitgeist around the Nintendo 64 for so long where it's just like even before the Nintendo Switch Online announcement happened, there's been this like clamoring for needing Nintendo 64 games, cartridges and stuff. I feel like it's because of emulation <laughs> and how up until very recently, the N64 was like this white wolf of being able to play on an emulator, right? Like you you could play all the way up to the PS2, the GameCube, PS4 the Wii, no point. problem, the PS4, exactly. But the N64 just never worked right. So the only way to play those games for so long was to actually pull out an N64 and play them. So I feel like a lot of that nostalgia for it comes from that and it not being as accessible. And I mean, it's a little easier these days and with Nintendo, the Nintendo switch online uh, library, it's very easy these days, but just not being able to do that has added so much value on top of the fact that for a lot of people like ourselves, this was the childhood system, right? So this was when I think of playing games as a kid in my most like formative years, the N64 was right there. So those two things, I feel like that's why there's just this, like, everybody's the Nintendo 64 kid on the inside for it. I, I think there's a couple of reasons that there is such demand. One being that 2020 into 2021, there's been a massive resurgence of nostalgia because everybody's been stuck at home and a lot of video game collecting, all this stuff has really, really blown up. And a lot of N64 stuff has definitely become a lot more expensive if you want to play it on the original console. I think another reason is we had the Wii with the virtual console and we got N64 games eventually. We had the Wii U with the virtual console and got N64 games eventually. And I foolishly thought with the Nintendo Switch that that would all happen a lot sooner because they've done it two times before. But no, 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 we have to wait four years, four years to get Nintendo 64 games in a smaller library to and start Bluetooth than support. we had previously. <laughs> what was that? And Bluetooth support. Yeah, yeah that's and the real. Yeah, the wow. hidden Bluetooth support that's always been there. Yeah. Um, so I, I think people have just been waiting because just following the pattern of what Nintendo has been doing with releasing past games. And then again, that that huge wave of nostalgia, I think a lot of people have been anticipating. Absolutely. This. And uh, later on to the, into this podcast episode, we'll actually be giving our reactions to the actual lineup. But I feel like that's more of a current topic, right? So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But something that I don't think gets talked about enough, and we've definitely lost this over time. Like when you think about the Nintendo Switch, you have the first iteration, then the second model. You got the OLED, and sure, you have like a Smash version. Animal Crossing's maybe the only one that's like very visually different. But when you travel back to the 90s, even from like Apple, Mac computers, all the way to N64, the freaking Game Boy Color, the Game Boy, one of the best things for me, and I don't know about you guys, was 
it wasn't just about getting the console, but which color and style. Did you guys really care about that growing up? I I enjoy those different styles, but what ends up happening is I usually get the system relatively early, um, like within the first two years, and those aren't, they're just not out yet. So for the N64, I just had the original black N64 and didn't have any of the other variations. And they were really cool, but... Uh, you know, if if you get it early, same with the Nintendo Switch, things like that. Um, the only place maybe I got a little bit of a different variation, and, and I'm glad Nintendo did still continue it on, is with the handheld stuff, right? The DS, the 3DS got tons and tons and tons of variations. So I'm glad it continued in that way, even though they, you didn't see it as much with uh, the more modern consoles like the Wii U. And the Switch, I guess... You kind of get a little bit and you can kind of have you throw your own personality in there by getting different colored joy cons and stuff like that. But um, yeah, not not quite doesn't quite hit the same like the those N64 variations. Yeah, I've never like I think it's cool to have all those variations, but I've never thought to myself, oh, even though I have this console, I need to go get another one because there's a really cool limited edition one. I just kind of end up with the one I have and I'm okay with it. It's awesome that they exist, especially the really, really weird ones, like some of those N64 colors that came out. And, you know, really, it's all Nintendo systems. Like, you know how there was like that atomic orange gamecube at one point like they they, they go wild with that in japan stuff. there was an awesome gamecube it was like the orange one i think a lot of people mm-hmm. say like that was the one to get just because visually yeah. it was so vibrant there's a, there's a canadian wii that's red that only w- came out in canada yeah Shout a lot of really good canadian stuff there. Wii. but what i love about this especially in in the 90s i was like ryan where i don't think i ever got one of these variations even though i always wanted it because the whole point of this, let's be honest, it's like, yeah, they look cool. The whole thing is double dipping or late adopters that are still thinking about it. Oh, but check out this new color. And I think it was awesome. In my case, later on with other consoles, I would get the controllers for it. But just to just to give you a, a, a peek of just how many of them we had. So we had the Toys R Us Gold console. And this is actually one of the more expensive ones because it was like the the shiny gold with the controller. I guess like Skyward Sword and that Wii Bundle maybe the uh, be the most uh, similar thing. We got the Fire Orange. We got a purple one. In the 90s, like it was all about translucent, transparent stuff. That also happened uh, in around the 2000s. Talk to me about that Jungle Green Donkey Kong 64. Uh, did you care about that one, Ryan? Because I know you were a, somewhat of a fan of the game. Uh, I don't think I knew it existed at the time. And I was just happy to get Donkey Kong 64 because it was like $100 <laughs> because it came with the expansion pack. The expansion. So I was not even, I'm like, I know I'm never getting that. I'll Just please let me get the game and I'll be happy. And that's, yeah, that's another weird one. Yeah, it isn't. Hey, Keith, I mean, you love you yes. so, some Star Wars. There was actually a bundle because not always did they come with a game, right? But they they did have the Star Wars Episode One Racer bundle. As an adult, because you're a, a Star Wars collector, I'm curious if if somebody said Keith complete unbox four hundred dollars and that that it would be a lot more. But let, let's just say, what if would you actually want to get that version knowing it's like Star Wars branded and everything? No, <laughs> I tried. Keith, Keith is a, he's a I'm, different I'm, breed. I'm not that type of person, though. Like I said, I've I've always been happy with the one I got. Like even as an adult, he has been with disposable income. How they have like the Destiny white PS4 and stuff. I've never been into that. Like I get the one I get. If if there's an option to have a limited edition one when I'm in the market to get that console, I'll look at it. Sure, if it's not in like an insane amount of money, like I ended up getting a um. Oh, what was it? It was like an exclusive color 3DS uh, when I got mine. I'll have to dig it up and and There was like a Galaxy that. type of one? Mm-hmm. They, they, they had a lot of 3DSs. Like this, this really lived on Nintendo's portables. But if I get it, then great. But I wouldn't go out of my way to get something like a special <clears throat> Star Wars Episode One Pod Racer N64 just because, oh, I, I love the Star Wars. And even though I love the Star Wars, I don't love it that much. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a lot. But the one that I think a lot of people, especially now collectors, because 
you got Nintendo, you got the Pokemon, right? So you put those mm-hmm. two things together and you have that blue, that half blue, half yellow N64, but it didn't have a, a painted on Pikachu. It's like, it's it's actually changing it like the molding. like a piece of plastic? Yeah, that it was, was basically like, like molded to, to have a Pikachu on it. And I think the reset button was like Pikachu's foot. And then you had a Pokeball to turn on the system. I think that would be, considering the N64, like the 90s, right? I think after the basic black console, this would be the one to get. Just for the sake of like, this is the 90s summarized in one console, right? Yeah, I I see a lot of game shops. (laughs) I I honestly, I don't hate, like, I don't love the design. I'll be honest. I don't love it. It's, yeah, it's it's a little tacky. It's very tacky, very loud. And maybe this is just personal nostalgia. But if I'm saying the one N64 console to get the variation, it's that atomic purple, that see-through transparent purple that just screams the 90s for that exact reason. And then again, maybe that's because it's the one I had. But when I think N64, the first thing that comes to mind is that transparent purple commercial or commercial sorry controller (laughs) that just you know collected dust a little differently like just grime just found its way to that i do i do have the purple controller uh when i got it at a yard sale but also um for those just for the video version this is actually a usb n64 controller but it does the same design like the orange see-through design um but yeah, I do have a purple one stashed away. That's a real N64 controller. But that was kind of the, that was like the settle, right? You didn't yeah. get the system, but at least you could get the cool see-through controller. Because, mm-hmm. you know, with N64, you definitely wanted to have extra controllers around because of the amazing amount of multiplayer games. And that actually takes us to, when talking about the legacy of the console, You're welcome, right? Juan. Yeah, th- thank <laughs> yeah, you, man. That was, that was <laughs> a tag segue. Me, tag me in, Ryan. Tag me <laughs> You 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 got to think about what is the defining thing of the N64 and whether you talk about a game, right? Like No Mercy, GoldenEye, Mario Party, Smash. It's not just about the game. It's the fact that, as we mentioned in earlier episodes, it's got freaking four controller ports. And I don't think that gets talked about enough because I do think that's the biggest thing that left it. And I also think that's why so many people are nostalgic for the console because it's the console that you and I and probably two other friends play growing up as opposed Mm -hmm. to something like the PS1, which I'm super nostalgic for. But to me, the PS1 was a more a lonely console for me because I was an RPG gamer, right? So I didn't care about multiplayer stuff, but here it was the complete opposite. So when talking about the console and multiplayer, why do you think that is so significant? And when talking about it, it's just history. It's it's not only that it had the four controller ports, but it had the games to back it up, right? If, if we didn't have those same games, then it just, it, it wouldn't be talked about. But they just came out with one banger after the next. Um, we had, of course, Mario Kart as... One Mario Kart and Diddy Kong Racing, both as incredible racing games. But I think the the ultimate game changer really was GoldenEye 007 that just basically popularized the console FPS multiplayer, which wasn't really a thing at the time and until this game really made it work. Where, you know, a lot of times you just see a PC like Doom or like Duke Nukem game, but GoldenEye 007 really, you know, it doesn't hold up well today, but it really paved the way for eventually a game like Halo that took it to new heights. Mm -hmm. The games really are what made it just that little bit more special because like the PS1 had a multi-tap. You could use four controllers on a PS1, but there just weren't games that were there for if it you that played you ps1 really wanted to with more than two people at once that's considered like a miracle i'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah pretty much and you found something that was fun enough to play with four people and keep their attention because yes i get that the n64 had 
the advantage of not having that be an accessory and there was four ports plugged in and it was all universal so like as a kid i could just grab my controller and go to my friend's house and boom all of a sudden we have uh, like three people doing the same thing we've got a four-player game going but when we were able to play stuff like super smash brothers like goldeneye like ryan said like mario kart like that's the thing that really just took it to that next level, right? There's just so many, you could, you could make a top 10 multiplayer, uh, like multiplayer games list on the N64. And no matter what you choose, you would have one that's missing from the list, right? There is just such a deep library of great multiplayer games on that system that there was just something for everybody if you owned it. And that's, and really like that was the seller because if you look at single player experiences on the N64, there's with like one or two exceptions that were made by Nintendo, there's just something about how they don't hang quite as well and it it really is like the perfect multiplayer system and, and i think it, it goes to what ryan said where having those four ports by default kind of like the gamecube right if you think about nintendo maybe i think the wii U's when they kind of broke off every console the mm-hmm. gimmick was a main feature right the multi tap for the ps1 it was even a choice. with the GameCube, the games weren't there on that same level, right? Yeah. Like even Except though for Melee, they just had Melee. That was it. Yeah. I mean, hey, that, that's a showstopper yeah. in itself. <laughs> exactly, but it had a little bit. But it's like even when you go and I know we'll eventually talk about the Wii, the wiggle motion, like the motion controls, were the feature, right? Imagine if you had two versions of the N64, one that was like budget price with two ports versus four ports. It's like, imagine how different the games would have been designed. Imagine Smash designed with two player in mind. And then Ryan, you mentioned something. It's like, I I think Goldeneye, even though some people call it overrated, I actually think it is underrated. And the thing is, we talk about it from the first person shooter perspective, right? But think about this. You have first person shooter. And then you have the actual like uh, game based on a movie that works, but it's also four player multiplayer. It's like those three things are significant on their own. And it's one game that's giving you all three things. Like I guarantee you, Plus not only cheats. was gold, <laughs> all that like it was and on the, yeah. top of all that, they added all these different modes and stuff to make it just fun. It's, it's really, yeah, it's an incredible game. Absolutely. One one multi one game I want to talk about that I just think it doesn't get talked as much talked about as much in the multiplayer space, but uh, Conquer's Bad Fur Day. This game is just like it's almost it's similar to like how Resident Evil Two on the N sixty four is like a miracle of game design. Conquer's Bad Fur Day I think is another <laughs> one of those kind of miracle of game design. The fact that you can fit. You can fit full voice acting onto an N64 game on on top of a great campaign mode that is pretty lengthy. And then you have this whole setup of multiplayer games where not only can you play with four people, but you can actually add additional computer players into your four player matchups and you can set their AI from like really really dumb to all the way up to what they called Einstein level was like the highest AI where they're just like sniping you from a mile away. But uh, like it was just incredible what they were able to like pack into that game. And it was pretty late to the N64. So that's probably why it's not really remembered as much for its multiplayer. But that's just one of those games that was incredibly fun to play multiplayer. Like me and my buddy would just play that game and we'd play together versus a bunch of AI and try to try to win. Uh, and it was, it was a really good time. See, that's so fascinating because I never realized that Conquer was a multiplayer game. Like I thought it was just the crude single player kind of miracle experience that showed up near the end of the N64's lifetime. And that's what I meant by you can consider this one of the best multiplayer systems of all time and not be fully aware of just how mm-hmm. good it actually is unless you've like experienced the entire library. That That's so cool. Yeah, I actually never played Conquer, so I didn't know that it was like 
an actual good game because I just thought of it as like this yeah. naughty adult type game and and all Nintendo I know console. about that game is you fight a giant poo at some point yeah. and that's about that it. Is, it that's honestly an incredible sequence that maybe we'll get more into later <laughs> yeah but yeah. I will say this about Conker's Bad Fur Day it is a well-made game but my god are there some like really difficult frustrating parts that will like make you want to punch punch a wall trust me there's some really like bs parts that will just infuriate you and, and just like reacting to a couple of the multiplayer you know the, the multiplayer haven of the nintendo 64 so there's mario party and there's three mario parties right because four started on on the gamecube if i'm not mistaken we got Mario Kart 64, GoldenEye, Smash, Mario Golf, there's Mario Tennis, Perfect Dark, Diddy Kong Racing, all the wrestling games except the bad ones. Uh, <laughs> and then obviously Conker's Bad Fur Day. And, and as Keith mentioned, you can make a top 20 of multiplayer games and at least 10 of them are like must plays. But if the question was in 2021 and beyond, so we're not just focusing on when we were growing up as kids, we're saying now... And especially in the last like 10, 15 years, you know, I think we all have that one game every now and then we'll play at least like the first stage or something. What will be the most significant game for you guys with the N64 that not only was a great back then, but you would still go back to it or would think about going back to it at some point? Dick, dick, dig it, dig, dig it all. It's got to be no mercy. Yeah. Break it. Yeah, no, for me, no question. It's no mercy. Like, I pl I played that game last week just because I thought to myself, I want to play No Mercy. I actually did, it's, too. <laughs> yeah. See? Weirdly enough. I was it's, playing Star it's Fox, one of the greatest but then games I would take a break. Time. It's so good. What about you, Ryan? I mean, it, it, it's Ocarina of Time, let's be honest. Yeah, I, that's It's, it's that's the obvious answer. <laughs> I still play it all the time. I... I try to race my buddy in it like we'll both play and you know um I try to learn like the speed run glitches some of them just for fun because the game has been just completely dissected to the point where you can the the current fastest speedrun of the game you just stay in the forest that you start in and you do some weird stuff and all of a sudden the credits just roll so that's what it's come down to with with that but that's amazing ocarina yeah. of time i think is still the best paced 3d zelda game um in in terms i should say the most balanced and best paced 3d zelda game because obviously breath of the wild is kind of you do whatever the heck you want but the dungeon aspect of Breath of the Wild is is kind of lacking for the those re the people who loved kind of the old school Zelda. But I don't think that they have made a 3D Zelda game that just checks all the boxes the same way that Ocarina does, where maybe it doesn't have the best dungeons of any Zelda, but it has good dungeons. Maybe the pacing isn't as good as some of the 2D Zeldas, but the pacing's good. The story, it's maybe not the best story, but it's still a good story. Like every every aspect of it is good. So it's just like the most well-made, well-balanced Zelda game. And it's incredible that it being the first 3D Zelda game, they got so much right on their first try. Honestly, the fact that Ocarina is on it is most of the reason why I'm excited for Nintendo Switch Online, because I'm 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 not in as deep as Ryan. Like I'll I think about playing it every now and then. I'll play a little bit, enjoy it, and then kind of move on, right? But now this is like an extremely accessible way for me to play one of the best games of all time, and I'm excited for that. Though I will say the 3DS version is probably still yeah, it's, it's the so better good. version. Yeah, yeah. It, it frustrates me. It frustrates me because... Yeah, but then I have to, to find you. that 3DS that I have to dig up for, for science sake and see what color it was again. Yeah, I it's mean, the problem. Yeah, the N64 yeah. version is still perfectly fine, perfectly playable. Um, the The only downside to the 3DS version is you just can't do some of the BS glitches like Deku sticks are OP in the N64 version. So <laughs> but other than that, the 3DS version is like smoother, faster dialogue. Uh, it's it's nice. Uh, and, and one game I do got to bring up, though, is uh, Pokemon Snap, just because we haven't talked about it because it wasn't in like the first year of the console, which is what we've really been discussing. But people, if you're subscribed on the podcast feed on the very same feed when we were still a cast of the past, 
we actually have a full review of uh, Pokemon Snap, but I do think it's kind of like going back to the console, right? 90s is Nintendo and Pokemon. So you had one game that wasn't red, blue, yellow, and all that stuff, but it did serve to be a great Pokemon game to the point that for over a decade, I mean, pretty much two decades, people would still be like, I want a sequel. And we actually got that sequel. And I think it also is like welcoming that you can't take one established IP, in this case, an RPG and Pokemon, and completely switch genres, take all of the combat out, literally, and just be like, it's about taking pictures. And guess what? It's freaking awesome, right? How, how important do you guys think Pokemon Snap is in N64 history, just considering how different it is? Uh, not as important as it is in Blockbuster's history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is, it yeah. was. I mean, we all say it. It was the rental game and to the point where you could print out your little photos as stickers at Blockbuster. It was, it was a pretty well-designed tactic. I wonder, I wonder if uh, Blockbuster funded that game in any way, but nevertheless, it was just, it was a great game and it was a fun way to see the Pokemon that we we're used to seeing on this tiny little Game Boy screen. It was nice to see these 3D models of Pokemon out in the in the world that you imagined when you were playing it on your Game Boy as a kid. Yeah, that's the best part because it was really one of those first times that you were able to see these characters that you fell in love with on your Game Boy in 3D. And I think if it were anything other than Pokemon, we would not have the reverence for Snap oh, yeah. that we do today. Yeah. But it's because that franchise was just so, so, so beloved today and back then yeah and pokemon stadium just did not hit the same way it was just not great <laughs> yeah but pokemon stadium is when you talk about the legacy of the console it's kind of sad that it is now that and even now with like rcs and all that stuff people are still like complaining about hey, you're 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 getting there right but you're not quite there yet that pokemon stadium i remember as a kid hearing oh no nintendo's gonna do the full 3d thing this is step one i'm like Dude, that two freaking decades, man. Come on, <laughs> Nintendo. Can you make it happen? But even then, it's still been kind of like an evolution. But one thing that we've briefly dabbled on is when talking about legacy, right? Super Nintendo, even though it was very much known for platformers, it was an RPG haven, right? I mean, the amount of incredible RPGs, but then you switch to the N64 and I don't want to say there are zero RPGs, but it's almost at zero, right? Mm -hmm. So looking back, it's like, it's not nostalgia. It's 2021 and seeing like, here's a library, here's a library. Was it shocking to you guys or is it shocking to you how drastic it became? Because I feel like even in GameCube, we did get some RPGs, but the PlayStation really was the home for, for PS1 and PS2. And Nintendo truly did just become the Nintendo console because they had all the third-party stuff. I mean, you you lost Final Fantasy. At the end of the day, that's got to be the biggest loss they ever had. What do you guys think about that change in genres and all that stuff? I mean, it's I think it's one of the most classic examples of like accentuate the strengths, hide the weaknesses because of the choices they made to have these N64 cartridges instead of discs where you could handle something like a giant RPG Final Fantasy 7-esque. You move away from that because you just you can't hang there. So I think it's honestly one of the best decisions they ever made to just hide those giant RPGs. Let the PlayStation have those. And I mean, there are exceptions. There were a few RPGs on the N64, quest but nowhere 64. near <laughs> like your Quest 64s of the world. I feel like everybody's exactly. legally obligated to say, hey, <laughs> hey, Quest 64. Hey, hey, don't forget about Quest. It's, it's here. We, yeah. we, we, we got it, guys. Game. But it's like, why focus on the fact that you can't have those when you can make something that works as well as a golden eye or a super smash brothers did it was it's one of the best decisions they ever made i would i would say for me personally i didn't really notice because i was not an rpg guy but i'm sure for people that grew up playing the final fantasy games and the other multitude of uh super nintendo rpgs they definitely felt a little betrayed and maybe leaned more into 
PlayStation, but since I was really mainly focused on platformers, N64 was exactly what I was looking for, which was taking that to 3D. And yeah, it's because the the N64 and just that era, it felt like they didn't want to focus on any 2D games because I'm sure if they wanted to do like a 2D RPG on N64, they could have probably easily done it. But because N64 was all about we're going into 3D, almost there was just way more 3D games than there were 2D games where I feel like even, you know, PS1 still kind of embraced some of the the, the 2D a little bit uh, there. But yeah, at the end of the day, it seems like the people that wanted to make these really big, expansive RPGs, why not use the, you could have way more space on a disc. True. And I think what's really surprising. Or three. Yeah. When you think about <laughs> the the history of like 3D and we're not doing 2D anymore. You know, we got Paper Mario and, and Yoshi's Story on, on the N64. But think about how long it would take. Like, wasn't it up until like DS that we started to get more new 2D Mario games? Because then we went to GameCube, right? It was Sunshine. We went to Wii. It was Galaxy. So in many ways, it's like... It was the new Super Mario Brothers trend. Yeah, it was the yep, age DS. of the Wop Wop. Oh, that freaking... Wop, oh, <laughs> I hate that. I can't stand that. <laughs> wop, wop, it's like Blue's Clues or something. <laughs> I cannot stand that. I still can't. <laughs> it's legit one of the things that keeps me from playing those games. I can't stand it. I can't freaking stand it. I know. I need to do you know. Do you know the enemies <laughs> dance when the wop wop happens? They yeah. they kind of do a little shimmy. <laughs> yeah. well, no. I now know how to torture one. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> it's true though, because from like DS, the Wii started to really embrace 2D because we saw like Kirby's Epic Yarn and, and things like that. And yeah, it really was the new Super Mario Brothers stuff that kind of brought them back into it. But yeah, N64, it did feel like for the most part. It's like everything, we got to go 3D. It doesn't matter, you know? And maybe that it was really to its detriment a little bit. So we, we brought up a couple different games. Like Keith mentioned No Mercy. Is there any other game that if you were to just say, look, like this is the game. And I'm not even going to say Super Mario 64 because it's the first game and I think it's the most obvious one. You know, Ryan, you brought up Ocarina. Is there another game from the library? And I'll even exclude like Goldeneye. Is something like Smash really the the biggest takeaway afterwards that was going to be the game that i brought up even just from a personal experience aside from no mercy like smash was the party game on that and just how big super smash brothers got and how wild we've ended up in 2021 with all of the different characters in um super in the switch super super smash brothers what is the tagline on that one super smash brothers ultimate thank you like just how insane we've gotten with everything in there and how it started with this very small toy box of eight characters and a hand and where we've gone from there like it's just a phenomenal party game one of the best and one of my favorite on the system like that was the game that my friends got together and played i remember uh really anticipating Shout that out to game. master hand <laughs> that was a game where i saw the previews for it like in a magazine and i was like i need to get this game so i made sure to get it close to whenever it released i mean it's the most like fanboy fantasy oh, yeah. game ever, right? It's Mugen, like, oh, but who, official. who'd win a fight in Pikachu and Zelda and Link and then Donkey Kong came and won. But man, yeah, it was like, great. that's Smash Brothers. I think Smash was as a kid, right? I think it's different for us as, as adults, even though with the announcement, like uh, the, the DLC with Ultimate, I think it does apply for adults as well. But as a kid, you would be like, oh, there's no way we're going to get a game with Pikachu and Samus and Mario and Captain Falcon. Well, who's that guy? Right? And Waluigi. <laughs> oh, wait. Well, oh, dude, dude, dude. <laughs> low blow, low blow. But, and it's an actual fighting game. And I think on one side, we talk about the lack of RPGs. The N64 wasn't lacking in fighting games, but I never looked at that controller and said, oh, man, you know what I need me for that game? for that console i need me some good fighting games which is that's what i liked about the wrestling games because they were a little bit slower 
but I never played like a Mortal Kombat and said, oh, this feels natural. Like it, it just never did. So Smash was the perfect thing, but fighting games were also generally 1v1, right? Here, it's like, it, it makes sense, mechanically speaking. So Smash is a great pick. Yeah, and it, another thing Smash Brothers did, which I think they really started to lean into more and more was it kind of revitalized a lot of franchises because uh, you know, I didn't even, I'll be perfectly honest, I had no idea what Metroid was until Super Smash Brothers. It just wasn't on my radar at all. And I had no idea what Earthbound was or Fire Emblem eventually in uh, in Melee. And then you really knew what Fire Emblem yeah, was. And oh, then, yeah, they, yeah, they just <laughs> keep putting in Fire Emblem characters. And I still haven't played a single one of the games, but I know about it now. <laughs> and it's it's become a lot more popular in the U.S., because of it in fact i don't even think it was in the u.s until after melee so it they've that it became even more like it grew a life of its own outside of the game itself and that's why these smash announcements now are like the biggest thing ever and um just it's just a shame waluigi won't be in smash ultimate and this is sad now so (laughs) let's switch to some positive stuff so Something that's fascinating to see is uh, numbers as far as games released. So keep in mind, this is the console that launched with two games. So throughout its lifespan, we got a total of, in in North America at least, 393 N64 games when compared to the PS1's 1,100. So it's worth mentioning that the PS1 did come out like two years before, give or take the N64, so it did have that two-year span. But... Looking at that 393, as a kid, it's one of those things that you swear there were more games than the ones that actually came out, right? Absolutely. I mean, 393 is kind of like embarrassingly low for the amount of games. But I want her quality over quantity, baby. Yeah. uh, For what they did, yeah, there was there was some bangers in there though. And that that's really what mattered. And yeah, for sure it is a quality over quantity thing. But I'm sure the factor is just being that this was not an easy console to develop for and you were under some really tight constrictions to make the games that you want to make. So it really just came down to Nintendo Nintendo making their own games. Rare was just crushing it for the Rare. N64. And then uh, the rest were probably just like the the sports games that came out for for like both consoles and stuff like that. But um yeah, it was it, it's it's pretty rough. I this has to be besides maybe the virtual boy, I feel like this has to be one of the smallest libraries of any Nintendo console. I don't know if Yeah, because the GameCube is actually 680. So it's still less than than even the PS1, but they did more or less double it. We, I don't even to look at that number. Yeah. A Wii game came out every, like, just dance. Still, I think you can <laughs> you actually buy like 2020. For the Wii is just disgusting. Yeah, you can drown in shovelware discs <laughs> yeah. for the Wii. Yeah, and, and for context, the Super Nintendo had 717 games. So... It is interesting to look at that. For, for numbers there? Oh, the, the, the Wii U, I think, is actually like a hundred and something, if I'm what? not mistaken. At one point, I, I thought about getting, if you can look up that information, but I'm pretty sure I it's will. 100 and something. Mm-hmm. It did set a trend, though. Like, when you think of Nintendo it's a consoles, 783. Like, yes. Maybe you're no, wrong. See, it's very. Um, oh, are you looking up including digital? I'm talking oh, about physical oh, games. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh. Ryan. Good call. McNulty. Physical. That's your thing, isn't it? To get physical? (laughs) Forget about Keith's thing. We don't count digital in this thing, man. There's a Reddit Mm -hmm. post from 2017. But this, like, you can really trace it back to the N64, how just Nintendo consoles were the place for Nintendo games, right? Like, that was the case for pretty much most of the GameCube, the good stuff on the Wii, very much the, the Wii U. Yeah, and you could even say the same about the Switch, even though it's getting better. Like, yeah, now it If changed, you yeah. want to play Nintendo games, like, 
I guess the Nintendo console is the place to be, but that's the reason why you get it. Like, it's not because you want to play the Call of Duties or the things that show up everywhere else, right? That's for, it's your Mario system, it's your Zelda system, it's your Metroid system. You, Nintendo games sell Nintendo systems, so there doesn't need to be a ton of games on there because the quality of the stuff that Nintendo makes is just so high that it just that's what drives people to that system like look at the switch and breath of the wild like those that game sold that system bar none it's 165 wii u game so see i got it man i got it and how many of those are nintendo games probably more (laughs) than 50 percent. you you got some wii u releases (laughs) physically because they did a lot of that stuff yeah man i mean and the wii u is still around for like five years (laughs) that's just this is embarrassing You know what? We should eventually talk about the Wii U. I'm sure we will. But it'll only get like two episodes. It'll get a two episode run. (laughs) Console. We just link them to your uh, YouTube channel. (laughs) Yeah, we could just make that happen. Now, what's interesting here is, okay, so console sold lifetime. Nintendo 64, 32.93 million. Super Nintendo, 49. So I do think that is very interesting to see just because... I think in people's heads, and at least in my case, like Super Nintendo should be, it it did sell more, but it should be a significant increase, right? Like NES and Super Nintendo, yet not really the case, but the NES did 61.91. So what do you guys think about those numbers? It's, um, yeah, it looks from, if you look at it like that, it seems like Nintendo's on the decline, right? Each system is selling a little bit less than the next and i wouldn't be surprised if a gamecube actually sold even less than n64 but maybe you can fact check on that it, yeah it's, it looks a little crazy but it's it seems like from an anecdotal standpoint your friends had nintendo systems so it's like it was a surprise that it's like when you look at the actual numbers that they it, they started doing poorly but i don't think it's like seen as bad sales but ps1 did kick their ass basically oh, yeah the you ps1 know? Yeah. people it did 102 it's still one of the highest selling consoles of all time and got you that info gamecube 21.74 million consoles sold so every generation despite the fact there's more gamers right because the ps1 showed that so nintendo in hindsight nintendo has always been like number one or number two but let's be real for a little while it's like Everybody knew about it, but not necessarily everybody actually bought. Yeah, their the games sales the were in decline until the Wii hit. If we don't yeah, look then, at handhelds, which is a whole different hit. story. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Keith, uh, when talking about the top selling games, my friend, uh, one of the games in there is uh, Star Fox sixty four, which we'll actually be talking about on episode five, the next one. What did you think about like those other games that you see here? Like, you know, we brought up No Mercy, we brought out some of our favorites, but then you look at this list, and even though we sort of poke fun at Pokemon Stadium, it sold 5.4 million, one of the highest selling games for a console that sold 30 something. So that was a significant amount. Amazing. That's amazing to me that it sold that much. But yeah, if if you look at the games, it's it's what you expect to be there on that highest selling list, right? Your Super Mario 64 at 11 million, your Mario Kart 64 at 9.8 million. It's the greatest hits of the N64 and what Nintendo did, leading into my point from earlier of like the Nintendo games sell the system and they're just the best by a mile. And there are exceptions with the N64, right? Like your Golden Eyes and your Banjo Kazooie's just kind of creeping up at the bottom there I just realized with 3.6 like, million is there's no correct me if i'm wrong okay so the the, the top selling games just uh, saying the names banjo kazooie star fox diddy kong donkey kong pokemon stadium smash ocarina goldeneye mario kart 64 and super mario so hypothetically if you remove nintendo and rare you that's the list you lose the list you've got, right you've Am got missing pokemon something stadium here? there <laughs> yeah, Pokemon Stadium is the only one. Wow. Nintendo games sell Nintendo systems. <laughs> yeah, Damn, see, that's pretty yeah, crazy. Like Snap is not on there because everyone rented Snap. Whereas yeah, Stadium I imagine people bought it's Stadium. shockingly low the number of people that bought Pokemon Snap. Yeah, that, that that's very true. 
but but we'll be talking about Star Fox 64 like I remember renting Star Fox 64 a lot because it was so short yet it's here so very interesting how how that really does go to change and just looking at that top selling list it's like you see genres let's look at genres right so we have platformer racing first person shooter uh, action adventure fighting fighting racing rail shooter platformer so there is no, a little no bit of RPG. everything. No RPG. No RPG. No Quest 64 on it this list. It wasn't the system for that. Would you say if if instead of it saying top selling games, if it, if it said like top games as a whole for N64, do you think this list still would more or less apply? This list? I mean, pretty much. So you're saying the top selling games versus the actual best games? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you were to, for somebody that's never experienced an N64, if you were to just say, well, play the top selling games of the console, not all the games are here, no wrestling game, right? Would you still think this is like a pretty solid bunch? I think it's a very solid list, but there's definitely ones I would scrap off of here and replace. Why is Donkey Kong here? Can I just say that? I was going to say, you should never, never recommend Donkey Kong 64 to a human being you have an ounce of respect for, but replace that with like a No Mercy, and I think it's pretty close. It's a pretty good starting point. I would cut Stadium and put Majora's Mask, but I know you guys would... Well, I know Keith would disagree with me on that. I'd agree. That's a bad choice. (laughs) It's like, look, Pokemon Stadium is the biggest deception because it's just, look, it's a 3D version of what you already got in the damn thing yeah there's the no good story mode to it it was nice that you had the game boy connector and you could play yeah. pokemon on your tv with it i believe and it was cool to bring in your pokemon from your game boy onto stadium but if you didn't have the game boy connector like i rented stadium this game's horrible and if you did have the connector i don't i still don't think it was that good there were some mini games on there that people like to play but at the end of the day, for what it was supposed to be, it, it, it was not a great game. And Donkey Kong 64, I think one of the big reasons it's on there, people waited a long time after the con- like the Donkey Kong Country series. They were really anticipating the next Donkey Kong game. And also, I think a big selling point was the expansion pack, even though it ended True. up only being used for like yeah. three games. I, I think everyone wanted that expansion pack. So it was the Wii Sports of the N64. Yeah, it was more like the Wii Sports Resort. Yeah, where you got where the Wii Motion, the Motion Plus. Plus. Yes, exactly. That also was only used for about three games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's very true. But hey, that's actually like a really good example of four ports. And, you know, when every console has four ports, a lot of games try to support it. But the expansion pack and all that's like, why would you support like a marginal amount of games as opposed to like, well, I'm just going to try to appeal to every person you know that that bought mm-hmm. a console yeah interestingly enough traveling to 2002 so when i say final let's keep in mind for every console there's at least like one game still coming out in some way shape or form like developing new games for old consoles is a thing but officially the final game for the n64 came out in 2002 which was tony hawk's pro skater 3 which incredible weird that's crazy wow and just think about the fact that that game came out for how many things because it came out for ps2 which that's the one i played ps1 PS1, and 64 like game boy color i think there was a game boy version maybe but that is a nice way to go out though. in fairness i had the ps1 version of tony hawk 3 to start because i didn't have so did i a yeah and it was a totally different game it like they had way more like the missions were different in Tony Hawk 3 at least some of them and they changed around the levels and stuff they yeah they they was like the cool PS2 version where you could be Darth Maul and they had all these weird effects and stuff in different areas you could go to at the levels and then you had the P- the PS1 version which was ba- basically like Tony Hawk 2 but with the Tony Hawk 3 maps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's this weird N64 version that I need to check out after we're I'm done I'm sure recording. it's very similar to the PS1 version. Probably. The soundtrack but, always takes a dip though cuz they can't have like the full song yeah. so they kind of yeah. loop I think. Yeah, they loop like 15 seconds. Like if you I remember playing Tony Hawk 1 and really enjoying the first 30 seconds of Superman <laughs> over Just the over chorus or something? 
end over. No, it was like the first 30 seconds and it would just cut off and start again. But I was there for it every time. Well, but it is a nice way to go out, though, because think about the fact that for a lot of consoles, the final games is like a FIFA soccer game or or just dance. This is like I love to see all this stuff. As a kid, I thought it was lame, right? Why would you get a new version of a game that's already out on a newer console? But now as an adult, I freaking love to see it's not a demake, but to see like what is a whole generation's difference in one yeah. game. Plus, you get to see the PS1 version. And I, I just love yeah. that from a technical standpoint. It's kind of like, didn't they take Sonic the Hedgehog from Genesis and like demake it for Master System? Yeah, pretty, they, they yeah, did that so for Alter Beast it, for a couple different games. It, yeah, It's interesting to, to see them do that. It, it is, it is. And uh, now I would like to have a pretty good conversation because it finally happened, people. Right after so long, Nintendo said people are... They want these damn N64 games on our Nintendo Switch online system. Let's actually give it to them. It does have a catch because it is going to come at a higher cost. It is also going to include Sega Genesis games. I think a lot of people would have preferred uh, N64 and GBA. I think I would be on that boat, but I thought it would be pretty cool to just put out the initial list because like, they did say eventually we'll get Paper Mario, Majora's Mask, but... Nintendo, when they say at a later date, Nintendo can say that and be like 20 years from now. <laughs> like they can go to great extremes. Took us four years to get Bluetooth on the Switch, people. So anything is possible. So well, I'm just going to list out the initial launch lineup, uh, which is available around this time already as you're uh, listening or watching. So we have Super Mario 64, Mario Kart 64, Star Fox 64, a lot of 64, Yoshi's Story, uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Winback, which is a surprising thing there that I actually played, uh, Mario Tennis, Dr. Mario 64, and then Sin and Punishment, which is a Japanese game that I believe is also available on the Nintendo Wii because it's like a rail shooter. And considering the fact that we've waited, because for, from the very first time, that 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 Nintendo said we're getting classic games. People were like, "Give me Mario, give me all of this." Right? People wondered how come you're getting rid of the Mario trilogy. We knew it would eventually lead to this. Having talked about the lineup, what do you guys think of it? It's definitely less exciting the fact that the Super Mario trilogy came out before it. The fact that a lot of people own Mario 64 now and then they're throwing it on the system because it would be a huge thing like, oh, we can finally play Mario 64 on the Switch. Well, we can already do that. But all of that aside, I think this is the perfect way. Like this Nintendo Switch online service that they've built is the perfect way to consume these N64 games that have been so rare uh, for so long. Like, yes, I, I understand they've been on a couple of virtual consoles, but the commitment to play something like that was still high because you had to purchase them individually. Now for this subscription, whatever it may be, you get things like Star Fox 64 and Mario Tennis and Dr. Mario 64 that you can just turn on, play, enjoy for a little bit and be like, okay, I'm good for a bit. And just do that with all of the games while still having those those uh, those bangers like uh, Ocarina of Time there holding it down and Mario 64 if you never purchased the, um, the uh, All-Stars, All-Stars collection. So... I love the fact that N64 is finally accessible for somebody like me that wouldn't do it through emulation. And it's great that it exists. And I hope hope Nintendo doesn't find a way to screw it up by just taking their sweet time like they tend to do and releasing games slowly, very slowly, very slowly. The moment that I saw at a later date, it's like... When, when they showed some of the feature games, I'm thinking, some people see that as a good thing. I see that as a problem. I see that yeah. as, hey, we're, we're, getting, we're giving you the game you want. We're just not telling you when. Which is bullcrap, because they already have the damn they, game. They can still show you the graphics saying, hey, we're going to release this. We just can't tell you when. And Ugh. of course, another caveat, you can buy for $50 the wireless Nintendo 64 controller to play these games, because we know... 
and 64 games don't really map quite as well on other controllers. So and now with those Joy Cons, yeah, Super Mario 64 with the Joy Con, yeah, that I was, used the uh, yeah, that was something. Yeah, you generally, uh, yeah, you want the the N64 controller. Yeah, it's it's very strange because we have Mario 3D All Stars, which I did play through the whole Mario 64 on that version. I think it's fine. And I just don't know, like, these aren't going to be, like, upscaled to look as good as the 3D All-Stars version, right? Yeah, because keep in mind, it's essentially ports. It's just emulated, yeah. Yeah, like, you and I, you know, in the podcast, we've talked about, like, Ocarina. Well, there's a 3DS version. So the problem when you bring the N64 over, right? It's like Star Star Fox 64 has a version on Nintendo 3DS. So... It's a weird scenario where you're getting the game that you play growing up, but there's a there's a better version that fixes a lot of stuff. Like Ocarina on Nintendo 3DS, the thing that I loved about it is you can actually like uh, kind of aim with the with the handheld, and it's yeah. perfect. And that would work pretty mm-hmm. good on Switch, but instead we get the OG version. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, yeah, I'm sure we'll get the same version we got on the virtual console, not the original like gold cartridge version because they changed some of this stuff uh, in Ocarina. But I think what's most disappointing to me, although technically 3D All-Stars could be a sign of things, but I was hoping for an upscaled 3DS version to come to Switch for Ocarina of Time. And this feels like it hurts the chances. But like I said, at the same time, they did do Mario 3D All-Stars with a different version of Mario 64. They'll happily sell you it again. Yeah. Come on now. Well, that's why I honestly think I'm probably going to skip this because I, you know how many copies of Ocarina of Time I have? And I have Mario 3D All-Stars. Unless somehow like Mario Kart 64 Online just kicks that much ass, <laughs> I, I don't see myself <laughs> needing to get this. I, I Honestly? Like... I have Mario N64. Tennis Online is where it's at. I'm so excited to play Mario Tennis Online. I actually like more. I was a big. I was a bigger fan of like the earlier Mario Tennis games as opposed to the later ones that became a lot more outrageous. So I do think that's good. Like I actually am looking forward to them adding some obscure games like Winback, like some shooters, like Blast Core. They did show Banjo Kazooie. So obviously GoldenEye will never come out for this, but it does open up the box for other like rare games and other like, look, we can get perfect dark, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. And look, like even with Smash, I think Smash has shown Nintendo has partnered up pretty well with a lot of different companies that you can look at that and say like, oh, I think they can pull this game together and all that. They they showed uh, F-Zero. I barely played that version, but I, I'm a pretty big fan now of F-Zero. Never even played those games till like a couple of years ago. I do think the fact that at the end of the day, N- Nintendo Switch is a handheld hybrid device. And I think it's going to be a nice way to celebrate these th- these games. And to this day, the Wii U still is like subjectively the best Nintendo console yeah. as far as if you want to celebrate Nintendo, not necessarily Wii U, it's the best legal way to do it. Because you got GBA, and from the looks of it, look, I don't think we're getting. I don't think we're getting GBA at this point because, considering the lifespan well, of the we Switch, will at a later date. Oh, it's yeah. Consider, though. I know it's already been four years, and it's ridiculously slow. Which is why I bought a Wii U like three years ago, and I don't regret it at all. And I already have a bunch of these games between the physical copies and the Wii U. I already have all these games. So the biggest, the biggest benefit to me is those obscure titles that I wouldn't otherwise try. And, you know, games that, you know, we didn't get in the U.S. Like, um, you know, you mentioned Sin and Punishment, although I guess we got the Wii U version. And then Banjo-Kazooie is big. Of course, if you do have like the Xbox Live version, it's actually a better version of it. But um, for Nintendo to have Banjo-Kazooie back, that is a big deal. And that is a fantastic game. I I think to like to summarize my thoughts about it, and you kind of said it now, is like, for the most part, a lot of these games, there are better versions of. There are, there's a better version of Ocarina. There's a better version of Star Fox, right? We already had a version of Super Mario 64. And when I say better, it's like, look, it's not saying that any of these are bad. It's just 
there have been revised versions that have either fixed stuff or added something that you probably should add. Like, look, if any of you haven't seen it, I strongly suggest you look at any 3DS game like emulated as far as like upscaled. Man, those games like look freaking awesome. And then I'm thinking, man, port some of that 3DS stuff. A lot of them will work just fine on on the N64. So I really would invite everybody to just go to our Twitter, which is at Quest Rewind, and uh, just share your thoughts. Is this something you're thinking about getting? Have you already gotten the service and you want to give your uh, feedback? Like, please uh, let us know. And with that being said, guys, this is the legacy episode. So if the final question was, uh, you know, we've sort of posted this at the beginning, but we've had four full discussions and then we'll conclude it next with uh, Star Fox. What does the N64 mean to you? Or what is your biggest takeaway from the console after everything we've talked about? Start with uh, Ryan. My biggest takeaway from the console was it was both a Nintendo haven of just getting it right on the first transition to 3D with both Mario and Zelda, but also just the best place to have fun party games at that time in that era between GoldenEye, Smash Brothers, Mario Kart, Mario Party. There was so much fun to be had with just the the amount of multiplayer games to have with your friends and the single player experiences you were mostly leaning on either rare or nintendo but both of them were just putting out incredible incredible games and of course there's a few other gems outside of that but it really was your first party games and rare who were just crushing it during this time and for me i can sum it up in a few bars because he's finally here and he's coming for you and if you know the words, you should join in too. So put your hands together and something clap. Something, something, something. through this, this monkey rap or something. Is it monkey rap or <laughs> wow. I think it's rap. monkey rap, maybe. That, I feel that, like that's, crying now. The DK64 is not a good game. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like, deep, wait, DK that's your takeaway? It's not a good game, but the, the donkey... The, the DK rap, that's, that's, it's lives on a such higher echelon of the, like that rap versus it's DK64. It's quite prevalent in, in meme culture. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. That is true. That's when but... r- between Banjo-Tooie and DK64, Rare took the collectathon way too far <laughs> with those two games. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah. yeah, just the quantity or the quality versus quantity argument, like to me, that is the N64. Like the quality of some of those games, whether they hold up or play well today, just the impact that they had on the video game culture or on us as kids is just so strong and so significant, like to the point where there are game companies trying to reclaim that high with games they are making today when when it comes to games like No Mercy. Like just such a solid foundation of games that really built my childhood. Today that that is the N64 for me. Same I think for me though, the console really is just it's a nice way, and I think we brought it up in like with the first two episodes. It's a time in gaming that we'll probably never come back to because it was so much about local multiplayer in a time where now it's like we have games like Fall Guys with hundreds of people playing, right? PUBG, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it's people that you don't have a lot of connection with because you're not physically there, right? It's like you're growing up with these people, and I think that's something that the N64 will always have that memory. Like I'll always remember going over to a friend's house and you bring your controller and you got to bring your A game because it's going to be about <laughs> uh, WCW NWO Revenge. And there was one friend I never beat and I always tried and it just never happened. <laughs> and I don't know where he lives now. So that's never going to change. <laughs> Damn it. It's got no, dark. You should, you should hunt him down. I'm okay be though. Be like, you, me, revenge now. It's like brother. Cobra Kai, but it's about this. Like, really? This is the thing we're doing now? But uh, everybody, something that's pretty cool is the next episode is going to be about Star Fox 64. And at the very end, we'll be announcing the next series of episodes, because if this is your very first one that you're checking out, 
the way that it works is we work through a series. So these first five are all about the Nintendo 64, right? Including the following one. Then we may take a couple of weeks break in the podcast feed and all that to work on the following one. So it's maybe going to be about a console. Sometimes it'll be about a genre. Maybe it'll be about uh, a series uh, a franchise of a game or something. But that's why we always just want to get your feedback. We have a pretty good idea of what the next lineup is going to be, but we are always open to suggestions. So if you want to join our Discord, it is available on the description of the YouTube clips or your uh, podcast feed. If you really enjoy what we do, the best way you can support, you know the deal if you listen to podcasts. The five-star reviews really do help. We try to just have this different format, right, of a podcast. Like, there's a lot of retro gaming podcasts, which I personally listen to, well, we tried to have something a little bit different, right? It's like it's like a package. It's not one episode. It's like all of this is like it's so almost like, like a weird Luger audiobook. Yeah, it's like an audiobook <laughs> reaction, right? We're not the historians of Vita games, but we are reacting to Vita game history, and I think that's pretty cool. So in each little mini series that we do, exactly. So. It's like mini series are all the rage. We just don't have yeah. Netflix or the budget to make that happen. So instead, we're we, this we do Squid this. Game. Thank you, get me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's going to be doing it for this episode. We will catch you on the next one of Quest Rewind.